This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 130. Oh, no, we can't talk about money. Of the in-between podcast where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel M. And I'm Christina M. Well, today we have an incredible guest back on the podcast, Rachel Cruz, uh, to not talk about money and parenting, but money and marriage. Right. Last time we had her on, she did talk about money and parenting, and we are still using the tools that she gave us. So we will (laughs) link that episode into our show notes. You can go to inbetween.org slash episode 130 to grab that. But today she is going to talk about how we can approach our spouse about money Mm -hmm. and not have it ruin our marriage and not have a big fight and not, you know, you fill in the blank and not have your armpits sweating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this interview was absolutely incredible. Rachel was talking from her newest book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, about the different money classrooms and and the fear that we often fear that often results from handling money differently and and the root of some of that. And and also really uh, the importance of talking about this and the positive benefits that this actually has, not only in regards to how you how you handle money and the number of times you can eat out or whatnot, but but really to the rest of your marriage and to your life. So this interview was absolutely incredible. So before we get into this amazing episode, if you've never heard of Rachel Cruz before, she is an author who has written four best-selling books as a Ramsey personality, and she really helps people be able to get their money under control. You will hear today as well that she doesn't just talk about the how, but she talks about the why. So let's get into it. Rachel, thank you so much for coming back on to our podcast. You're actually the first podcast interview of 2021. That's right. Welcome. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me back, kicking off the new year well. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And honestly, looking at our budget of uh, December 2020, we're so glad we are talking to you in January 2021. (laughs) Well, especially because December... Oh my goodness! Some big spending happened yeah, and during we didn't Christmas, even go, and we didn't even go anywhere. Exactly. I think we were kind of trying to make uh, do for the fact that we're not going anywhere. So we're like, let's just spend it oh, all on the true. kids. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Finally bought a shrimp ring. I don't yeah. think the kids have ever eaten a shrimp ring. Exactly. <laughs> we were, like, that was, that's, that's splurging in our house. That's splurging there, Rachel. That's splurging. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Oh, it's so true, though. We tried to like over overcompensate for everything that was taken away from us. Oh, so so I did so it. True. <laughs> right. So the last time you were on our podcast, we chatted with you about how to raise a money savvy kid. And so we're talking about parenting and raising kids to know what to do with their money. And mm-hmm. we loved that book, mm-hmm. Rachel. And we love that podcast because we're still implementing the things that you talked yes. about. So yes. we appreciate that. But today we want to hear more about your newest book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, and how to get finally get on the same financial page as our spouse. Because we all know, we all know <laughs> that money can be a heated topic, oh, yes. right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I know studies that constantly come out about marriage 
always say, wow, money fights and money problems are always like in the top three or top five reasons Mm -hmm. that people end up getting divorced, actually. I mean, it really draws this wedge between couples. And so getting on the same page, yes, with your spouse is so huge, not just on a tactical level, but an emotional level, spiritual level, so much happens, so much unity is created when you're on the same page working towards the same goals. Yeah. Now, I know with your show and with all that you do, I mean, you are in constant conversation with couples, with individuals, and and even as you're doing the research and everything in and around this book, uh, give us give us a glimpse. Help us understand uh, the the how serious this is, right? Uh, how important it is that spouses get on the same financial page. Uh, yeah, so give us some of that. Yeah. Oh gosh, it's it, it's so uh, it's it's one of those puzzle pieces in life that when I talk to couples or I'll talk to the wife or the husband and they'll say oh, I really want to do this, but my husband's not on board. Or talk to the husband, I really want to do this, but my my but my wife isn't willing to commit this far. What, the fact is, it's really hard to win financially and in the long run when you're not working together. Mm-hmm. So if one is constantly racking up credit card debt and the other's trying to get out, you're not making any progress, yes, right? Yeah. And so there there is something to be said of, hey, we are one in every aspect of our life when we get married, like that's it. Like we don't lose our identity and who we are individually. But when we come together in that union of marriage, we are saying, hey, we are going to work as the same team. We're going to, we're going to parent, you know, with the same value system. We're going to spiritually lead the household in a certain value system. We're going to handle our money with a certain value system. We're going to have boundaries with family and friends with a certain value system. Like we are in this together. And that is, it's so, so big. And so I would say, yeah, it's just hard to win in the long run. And then what's interesting though, is when you start working together, when it comes to your money, other parts of your marriage start to improve. Mm -hmm. I mean, your communication level improves, your level of vulnerability improves. All of that really does improve because money is like the outlet of a lot of problems that come out in life, right? They come out as money problems, but they're not really money problems. There's usually lots of layers underneath that. And so when you start to work together with your money and you start to have these conversations, other things come out. And so that's what's always kind of makes me laugh is when people go through Financial Peace University, they'll come out on the other side and say, well, you know, we paid off, you know, $10,000 of debt. We've saved $2,500 and our marriage is the best it's ever been. And I'm like, it's not a marriage class. (laughs) Really? one thing about marriage really in there except working together. Wow. But that's what it does. Money is just that unifying piece and and it's big. And then I'll keep talking because I think this is such a big topic. Mm-hmm. But like even couples tactically getting on the same page, meaning sitting down, sitting down together and budgeting and even having the same checking account. Mm-hmm. And this is a hot button. I mean, I can I can go on social media and talk about not having a credit card about how student loans are insane right now and you have to figure out a way to go to school debt-free. I mean, I can I will say some very countercultural things, mm-hmm. but when I say combining your checking accounts, you would think <laughs> I ran over someone's dog. Like they oh, come thought, yeah. out of the woodworks. Wow. Oh, it's the most pushback I get. And I'm like, man, it's so interesting. It's like we've gone into marriage and said, okay, yeah, we'll work together and be one, except I'm going to keep my own little thing over here. And this is my thing. And 
gosh. I mean, again, that is a ripple effect into other areas of your marriage. Okay, so Rachel, I mean, both Daniel and I, we had a joint account since the beginning of our marriage. So this is actually shocking news to us. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of our podcast family feel the same way. They're like, oh, we have a joint account. So can you give us a little picture of what do you think are some of the reasons why couples want to have that, you know, this is my piece over here. This is like my little nest egg Mm -hmm. for just in case or whatnot. Can you give us, um, yeah, some idea of why that might be? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a level they think of security of saying, hey, this is my piece. And wh- and what's so funny is I'm like, it's it almost ends up being the opposite because as you continue to say, this is my little piece over here, I'm going to hold this close to me. Again, that plays into so many aspects of your marriage. Mm-hmm. So in fact, it almost makes you more insecure to be able to have conversations because not only does that make you feel safe, but other people will say, well, I have my own account because when, w- when we did have combined finances, we just fought all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so you're avoiding some pretty big (laughs) topics that you can't talk about and you're just going to avoid it and think that you're solving the problem when in fact, no, those same issues you're having with your spouse are going to come up in other areas. So yeah, it's one of these things people think that they're fixing it, but they're actually doing more harm than good. Wow. Okay. So Rachel, you know, we weren't planning on talking about... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're getting off on this. (laughs) Yes. Because you know what? I mean, in your book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, I mean, my goodness, 30 minutes is not enough because there's so much in this. We're going to start with the money classrooms, but I mean, just going on further with the different seven money tendencies and the money fears. And and there's just, oh man, like we just wish we had hours with you to unpack all this. But but we're going to get into this money classrooms. But really, right before we do that, what you've been talking about is just, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Because I think for a lot of people, marriage, uh, you know, for our podcast, it's like, you know, this is this is what it looks like to build a healthy marriage. And yeah, money is this thing. And it's this thing that, yeah, we want to pay down our house. We want to get out of debt. We want to do all this. But when you read the Gospels, I mean, Jesus says, hey, you can't have two masters. Right. You can't have two masters. And he talks about money there. So it's no surprise as you are, as, as we've just been listening to you talk, it's no surprise that money actually becomes this crucible for which if you figure this out, there are actually all of these other positive benefits uh, to the rest of your marriage. You're exactly right. And Jesus always so says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Yeah. And so, or where your heart is, your treasure will be also. I flipped the scripture. But yeah, but the idea that, yes, like what is in you, what's in your heart, it comes out and how you handle your money, how you view your money, how you spend your money. And all of that plays into to who we are and understanding why we do the things we do. And that's why I wrote this book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, because there's the how-to portion, right? I mean, we've been talking about married couples specifically, but the how-to combine finances, how-to budget together, um, how to get out of debt, how to invest, how to refinance your house, how to. And all of those are very important and key tools in order to win with money in the long term. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, but what about the why? Like, if you can get to that root of why I'm doing the things I'm doing, why do I want that separate checking account? Why do I feel like my spouse is judging me with my purchases of all of our monies together? Why do I have a fear of saying something to my spouse about the way they spend their money because I'm nervous about it? I mean, like, right asking those why questions and digging underneath that surface, when you start to go there, there's a level of not just vulnerability mm-hmm. to say, oh, wow, I, I probably need help in some of this. But also a level of strength where you say, wow, if I can start tackling my why, 
I can really change my money habits and maybe even the way I view money for the better. And, And we said it a little bit earlier, but it's true. There's so many life problems, but they masquerade themselves as money problems. And so it's not really the money problem. It's not really that you have too much debt. Maybe it's that you have a contentment problem or your lack of planning problem. You know, like there's so much there. And so getting to that why is is really important. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Yeah, I can just picture our podcast family being like, what, Rachel? Yes. No, this is You incredible. are definitely pressing some buttons or really like turning on the light bulb for people. And like, yeah, why are we fighting about this? Why? I loved how you were saying, why am I feeling anxious or afraid of bringing up something? Why can't I show or feel like I can't show my spouse some of my spending or the credit card bills? Why am I hiding my Amazon purchases, right? Those boxes <laughs> right, are going yes. right into the recycling before, you know, my <laughs> husband comes home. Why? And I love that. I also love, uh, Rachel, how you were talking on in your book about how, right? How are we going to do these things? Why are we doing these things? I love Podcast Family. You need to pick up this book because I know not everybody feels like they can go to counseling right away, right? They just feel like they need to have more tools in their tool belt. Maybe I need to try a few things before. And this is it. This is the key. This is your next step, Podcast Family. I also want to bring up the fact, Daniel, you already mentioned it. Rachel, you talk about money classrooms. And I love how you've taken just these different thoughts and put them into uh, a way that we can practically learn and understand them. So we'd love you to take some time to talk about uh, what are the different money classrooms and how they shape the way we handle money. Yes, well, your classroom growing up was your household. I mean, you know, your household, your childhood home, that is where you learned everything in life, right? Every lesson and some lessons you take with you into adulthood and some lessons you wish that you could unlearn from, <laughs> from your family, right? Yeah, but right. but looking to say, okay, the way I view money and handle money today, what did I learn from my family of origin? What did I learn from that environment? And money is communicated in two ways. It's communicated verbally, but it's also communicated emotionally. And so when I was writing the manuscript for this, I was realizing, you know, these two kind of lines and I thought, oh my goodness, God gave me a quadrant. Like it creates Yay. this quadrant of these four classrooms yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of the way money is talked about. And so that classroom number that classroom number one is the anxious money classroom. And this is if you grew up in a household where money was not talked about, so verbally closed, but emotionally stressed. So you can't really put your finger on the tension and why it was there, but man, you felt it. You knew, but you didn't know it was money specifically because it wasn't talked about. Classroom number two is the unstable money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open, but emotionally stressed. And so in this classroom, you heard money fights. Maybe you heard your parents have the same money fight over and over and over again. Mm. But there was tension, there was conflict, but you heard about it and it was there. Classroom number three is the unaware money classroom. And this is if you grew up in a home 
where money was not talked about, so verbally closed, but emotionally calm. So it wasn't talked about, but it wasn't it wasn't a thing because it just wasn't a thing, right? Your head was in the sand. And when you went off on your own at 18 years old, you realized, I have no clue how to handle money. Oh, wow. It's like this whole new world to you. Mm. And then classroom number four is definitely the healthiest money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open and emotionally calm. Mm. So in the fourth money classroom is where there was a level of control over money, a level of planning, but also emotionally, you know, that that created that emotional stability, that emotional calm, but also it was talked about. So verbally, you heard your parents talk about it. You were talked about it as a child. Your, you know, your parents taught you things, um, all of that together. But each of the classrooms, even classroom number four, has its downsides. So there's things to learn no matter how you grew up. But what's fascinating is as I was talking and interviewing people for the book, I realized you either mirror and emulate so much of what your parents did without even realizing it. And you are creating your current family environment just like how you grew up. Or you did the exact opposite. (laughs) And you went to the extreme and you had this visceral response of, oh gosh, my parents fought fought about money all the time. I'm going to shield my kids from everything and we're not... I'm not even going to let them worry about money. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to just go over here to classroom number three, right? You you end up going to the opposite effect um, as well. So, so for my readers in the book, I do encourage them all to move to that classroom number four, that, that, that secure money classroom. Mm-hmm. But being able to go back and how you grew up is so key. It's so important to figure out that foundation that was laid for you, even as a child. Yeah. You know what I love about this quadrant? And I wonder if a quadrant like this would have even popped into anyone's mind 30 years ago uh, because today we have so much more there, there's so there's so much more freedom to talk about how we're emotionally doing right. and it just to have this one side of the of the the quadrant being your emo you know emotionally how are you uh, relating to this is just it's just mind-blowing so so for all of our um, our podcast family that's that's listening and and I'm, the way you described it is, is super clear so I'm sure everyone's kind of you know they have a sense of okay yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah i'm anxious no i'm unstable or unaware and and secure and actually before we hit record christina and i were talking about how we grew up in different quadrants uh so give us some insight into how couples and individuals can go from here especially as as they've identified what classroom they grew up in yeah so we can kind of go by each one um but that first money classroom yeah there's a there there's a tendency to say, oh, I really, I don't really even want to engage in this conversation because I don't even know how. Mm. It's almost like just that how of how do I even start talking about this? What does that even look like? I mean, it was there was zero modeling at all if you grew up in that classroom number one. So even breaching the subject of just starting to talk about it can be very uncomfortable. Mm. So pushing through that it's not comfortable, but man, breaking down that wall and saying, I'm going to at least try. It's going to be clumsy. It might be awkward. I might mess up. I'm probably going to mess up, but I'm going to just try. That classroom number two, the unstable money classroom, a lot of people that grew up in this classroom, they really just kind of want to peace out. Like They don't even want to engage conversation. They may know how in a sense, but they don't want to engage it because talking about money automatically equals conflict. Mm -hmm. And so not even wanting to say, oh, okay, I'm going to bring up that that kind of bothered me over here because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Because in your head, it ends up being this entire explosive, unstable feeling, right, of the environment you grew up in. So you just just almost become a little bit passive and not even engage. Mm -hmm. Classroom number three, 
I use it's interesting. It's so funny. Gosh, this whole book, I think it's <laughs> I know I wrote it. It's not a pat on my back. But I just I find the psychology of all of it fascinating because when I talk to couples that say, one of them will say, Oh yeah, well, my husband just takes care of everything. Or the husband will say, Oh, my wife just does the money and just tells me how much to spend. I'm like, I wonder if you grew up in that classroom number three, mm. because it's just comfortable. It's almost comfortable not knowing because that's how you grew up and it was peaceful to you. And you were saying, Yeah, I want that peace back. And if I have to engage in money conversations, that could cause some conflict, that could be some disagreement. And I don't want to go there. I would rather them just take care of it. Mm. So for classroom number three, people engage, 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 engage. And then classroom number four, yeah, there's a sense of it's automatically going to be easy for me because you did grow up in a somewhat healthy household when it came to money. But just because your parents were great with money, it's not a gene. So you didn't automatically (laughs) (laughs) get that. I know you have to do the work too. So there can be a little level of of entitlement and Uh. expectance that, oh yeah, it's all going to just be fine because your parents created that. And you didn't see all the hard work that went into you know, your parents having boundaries with themselves and saying, hey, we're going to live on a budget. We're going to live on a plan. And 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 forcing those conversations with you as a child at 10 years old and you didn't do your chores and they had to have the conversation. You can't get paid. You know, that whole, you know, thing that happened, they still engaged and they did it. Mm. And so you don't, you didn't see that hard work though and the energy that it took for your parents to create that household. So you just have to be careful if you grew up in classroom number four that it's not an automatic for you. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babylon, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Okay, so earlier on you talked about, okay, which classroom did you grow up in? And and when you're an adult, you have the tendency to either go back to that or mirror. So, So are you saying that if someone grew up in a, an unstable, the mirror would be unaware or would the mirror be secure or anxious? It can. I mean, I think there's different elements okay. that, that come into play. Yeah. I mean, I think I see people just doing the opposite. So if okay. it was talked about in an unhealthy way, they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Or emotionally, if it was if it was stressed, oh, they again, they kind of want to check out because they feel like being calm means that I'm not going to engage. Okay. So yeah, okay. just depending on, you know, how you grew up, I would say to look just to be like, okay, I am doing the opposite. You know, I talked to one girl and she said her parents, uh, not not classroom specific, but overall, you know, they were all about appearances. Like they always had great clothes, huge Christmases, nice cars, everything. But their family was a mess. Mm-hmm. Like their parents were miserable. They fought all the time. They never engaged them as kids. Like there was none of that. There was no healthy relationship. And so you know, a part of her says her, a lot of her wounds come from thinking they, they spent so much energy for the external of our lives and not the internal in our family. So she was like, I will drive a Honda Civic for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. want, I don't want to deal with appearances at all because I was so hurt by it. Yeah. 
Okay. You know, or you hear the opposite. I grew up poor and we were stressed out. We had to buy bread at half price. I mean, like we, it was down to the penny and I will never be like that. I'll hear people say that I will work hard and do what I have to do to create stability because I didn't have it there. So yeah, I mean, it's just people will, can have, again, that visceral reaction to the opposite of how they grew up. Uh, okay. I'm getting a better picture of that. Now I'm thinking not, I mean, we hope, right? We hope we marry someone who has a really good view of money and, you know, maybe really grew up in a stable environment and we probably hope for that ourselves as right as we're raising children. But um, I can see how, Rachel, as you're putting the four quadrants, that why money is such a hot topic. Because if you grew up in different classrooms and you're uh, having that come into your marriage or you're like, I never want to be, I will never, like we're talking about these sort of things that we're doing in our, in our own hearts. So I'm going to be the opposite. Now, I would love as we talk about our podcast family for the next few minutes um, we always want to talk about the nitty-gritty so if you find yourself podcast family uh, growing up in different quadrants and now you're married and you realize both of you approach money differently Rachel we'd love to hear what are some of the next steps now that we know now that we've named it what can we do next well, number one, there's always hope for change. So just because you grew up in one classroom does not have to define your future. You know, you don't have to say, I grew up in classroom number one, so forever I will have to be there. No, you can continue to move. So I think the important thing, again, number one is knowing that you can change. And then number two, having a set of values around your money with your spouse is a great place to start to say, okay, we have a value system that we're not going to go into debt. We have a value system. We will live below our means. We have a value system that we're going to steward what God has given us and we're going to have a plan and we're going to do things on purpose and not let our money happen to us. Like like pointing out those value systems is really key because how you go about it can be so different. And that's why uh, I talked about the seven money tendencies. It kind of gets into that. But we all can view money a little differently. You can be a spender or saver or you know these different um, spectrums that I have in the book. So, so your personality can be different. I don't want to take that away from you, but the, that value system underneath um, those tendencies is what you want to agree on with your spouse. So no matter how you grew up to say, hey, communication is key. So once a month, we're going to get together and talk about our spending coming up this month. Or if I have a purchase over X amount of dollars, we're going to talk about it. Like it's those kind of principles that you want to put into place to help overcome how you grew up in different... Why, or yeah, help overcome how you grew up in different classrooms. Hmm. You know, as, as I'm listening to you talk about this, and I know we're talking about money and, and spouse and, and with marriage, but last time you were on our podcast, we talked about raising money, savvy kids. And and the thing for Christina and I, I mean, she, we were just talking earlier and I was like, I, I think I grew up in an unaware family. And, and Christina was talking about growing up in an unstable, you know, based on this quadrant. And, and both of us, especially from the last podcast that you were on, have really been striving to create this secure, I mean, we didn't have this quadrant or <laughs> these labels, but really this secure sense um, in teaching our kids about money and and just how to use it and how to save it and how to give and, and all of that. Um, the interesting thing, though, and I love your perspective on this, uh, I remember a, a dinner we had uh, probably a few months ago and, and my son was like, dad, what do you do for work? How much money do you make? <laughs> and, and I was like, why are you asking? And he, and he was just like, uh, because 
really when we got to the bottom of it because he loved the life that we had right and he was like well we get to have a shrimp ring we get to (laughs) you know have a nintendo switch we get to you know and he just kind of he was like and yeah he's earning money and he's saving and he's learning how to do all that but it was really interesting how he was he just kind of went to okay uh because money is such a uh regular conversation because it wasn't for us growing up really um and we've made it this way i'm i'm kind of at uh, I, I, there's a puzzle in my head because I'm like, okay, but I don't want them to be obsessed about it, right? Right. So or anxious I, yes. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or anxious about it, and and it was just like, no, we're, we're we we want to have an open conversation about it, and and it's calm. We don't fight about money, but there's just kind of that other side of okay, but what are we doing? Like, what problems are we giving our kids now? That right? we don't know. <laughs> that we, we don't, don't know. know. Yeah, we're yeah. Unaware yeah. Of. So, right. love your thoughts on that. Help us, Rachel. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, not making money an idol in your life for sure is important. So every conversation doesn't need to be around money. But I do think different kids are wired so differently. I think some are naturally more entrepreneur and they're just going to be fascinated. I mean, this was more me. I was like, wait, I can on little cards put in people's mailboxes that I'll babysit and I can, they just will call me and I can go babysit their kids and make money. I mean like, oh, like that's just, I was like so interested. So you're going to have kids that have bents, a bent towards maybe that side of life versus the others. Like I am fine. Just leave me alone. I'm good. Right. So like your kid's personality is going to come out. So, um, so yeah, I would say still engaging those conversations, but also, you know, as a believer, putting it in the perspective too that this is a tool. Money is not our God. It's a tool that God has given us that, yes, we get to bless our family and do really fun things, but it's also a tool we get to help a lot of people as well. And so having it in the hands of us and and being able to manage that well is really important to mom and dad. And so we're going to, which means you may hear no sometimes. You may... You, we may say yes other times, mm-hmm. but but the way we're looking at it is that it doesn't rule our life. Mm-hmm. And so every conversation shouldn't be ruled by it as well. And then I think too, kids, you know, more is caught than taught. Right. They're watching how you're handling money, the conversations around money. So if everything is talked, if the only thing that is talked about in the household is just money, you know, not saying that that's you guys by any means, but they're going to pick up mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. this fact of, oh, money is really important. It's mm-hmm. actually the most important thing in life because it's all mom and dad talk about. Oh, you know, it's okay, it's yeah. those little, yeah. those things as well to, to remember. So there's definitely a balance, definitely a balance. And I think growing up as Dave Ramsey's kid, people assumed that all we did was talk about money. And I was like, not really. I mean, they kind of brought it up in the ebb and flow of life and they did a great job integrating it into our lives, but it wasn't our entire life. Uh, that gives us a lot of places that we can start off on and launch from. I appreciate that, for sure. Rachel. Uh, for our last question, now we've all come out of 2020, maybe a little bruised, a little scarred. Maybe some of us have lost our jobs or um, never thought about money until last year hmm. because life happened. For our last question, Rachel, is there a certain chapter that you can point our podcast audience to who maybe never thought about money before because life was grand and then all of a sudden it turned? Maybe they're like, Rachel, I don't necessarily have time to read your whole book. I would love to, but we're in crisis here. Is there a certain chapter or place you'd like to draw them to? Um, yeah, in this book, I would say the money fears. I think there's two chapters on it, but it's it's a section in the book. But I would go there because I think money, like you said, 2020 brought up a lot of fear in people. And one of those fears uh, was, are we going to be okay? It's this fear of financial security or insecurity of, gosh, if something happens, are we going to be okay? And statistically speaking, a lot of Americans weren't okay. I mean, 78% are still living paycheck to paycheck. 40% of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency in cash. Mm. And so if you were laid off or furloughed, 
you are going to have some fears. But I, I talked to Dr. Chip Dodd about fear for the book. And I love what he said. He said, fear is your body's literal response that you are in need of something. Wow. And so when that fear rises up, sometimes we we don't want to listen to fear. And I don't think fear has to be, it can't be our our number one you know advisor in life by any means, but listen to it. Because if your fear is, wow, we're not going to be okay if I'm furloughed. Okay, so ding, ding, ding. What are you going to do? What are you in need of? You're in need of an emergency fund. Let's get an emergency fund in place. You're in need of not having so many bills. So start working your way out of debt. Like, like listen to that fear. What is that fear telling you? We don't want it to go into anxiety. I don't want it to keep you up at night. I don't want any of that. But I do want it to be able to tell you something because it is telling you something. So listen to that and then figure out what steps you can put in place to mitigate those fears. So I write about six of them in the book. Um, but I think for a lot of people, 2020 brought that out. Right. Um, and maybe for good reason, right? For this to be a moment where we say, okay, no matter what, I don't want this to happen ever again to me. Wow. You've given us, uh, us a lot to yeah, think about. Yeah, a lot about. to chew on. Yeah, <laughs> a exactly. A lot to think about, man. This is, uh, I, I'm even thinking right now, you know, just going back to that earlier question of, okay, well, why, you know, Maybe we give money as an excuse to say no to something, maybe too often. Mm-hmm. And it's not that that's, it's just the easy thing to say. We're not going to do that because we're not. And and just even what you said, you know, at the end there was just like, oh, wow. Okay. This is, <laughs> Rachel, this has been so helpful. Yeah. So thank you so much for your wisdom, for your time, uh, and for writing this book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. Oh, thank you guys. Thanks for having me on and getting to talk about it. I think it's I think it's such a it's a fun topic, right? To kind of dig underneath and figure out who we are and all of that. But it's also, I pray, super helpful when you start your money journey or if you're on it, um, to figure out yourself more and and be able to break some of those bad habits. Fantastic. Now, what it, what is the best place for our podcast family to to learn more about the book and and to reach you and and all the amazing things that you're doing? Yes. Well, the book is anywhere books are sold and uh, rachelcruz.com has a lot of information there as well. So you can check that out or my podcast, The Rachel Cruz Show. Perfect. So at the end of this episode, and we told you it was going to be incredible, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> she talked about the money fears, and, and I just want to quickly outline them from her book, Fear of Not Being Secure. So if something bad happens, we won't survive financially. Uh, the next one is fear of not realizing your dreams. Time is running out. There's no way I can do what I've always dreamed of doing. The fear of not being capable. I can't win with money because I'm not smart enough. Fear of external forces. I won't ever get ahead because of how the world works. Fear of past mistakes. I'll never be able to get ahead because of the really bad money mistakes I've made. And fear of repeating the past. I'm scared I'll end up like my parents. We really do hope and pray that this episode sparks a conversation about, uh, for you personally, even for you to journal and be like, okay, which one of those fears about money do I personally mm-hmm. struggle with? And and this is even a great topic of a conversation that you can have with your spouse about money. So we do want to encourage you to pick up a copy of her newest book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. And all of these questions and, and different things to think through are all on our show notes, which you can find at inbetween.org slash episode 130. 
And honestly, y'all, this topic, this interview is too good not to share. Mm-hmm. So if someone has come to mind, maybe you have an adult child that you're like, oh, I want to send it to them or a friend that you've been talking about your money woes or what 2020 did to y'all and your mm-hmm. bank account, <laughs> make sure to share this episode. You can text them the link in between.org slash episode 130 or you can press the share button on your favorite podcasting app. All right. Well, Christina, next week on episode 131, what are we going to be talking about? We are going to be talking about how 2021 is going to be the year that you learn how to set boundaries. Fantastic. Well, we'll catch you next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.